Good morning. We are in the throes of spring break. <laughs> if you couldn't tell, Tom and Treasure are down enjoying uh, time with their kids in Nashville. Then they're down in, the, in Florida with uh, Joni and Jerry, so they're not here. And there's a number of others that are enjoying spring break, which is awesome. I'm glad they are. And I'm glad you're here. So Amen. we're just going to have a good time of worship, a good time of the Word today, and we are just going to celebrate today. Palm Sunday, and for all that it means, because it is a complicated day. Let's just leave it that way for right now. We'll talk about more of that later. But would you stand with me, please, today? And we're going to start by standing up. You can sit down anytime you'd like to, but let's just worship him. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so thankful that we have the opportunity and the freedoms to be here today. And we are excited about what you have for us and about what we have for you, because we want to give back to you today. We just want to bless you today with our worship. And so we honor you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. I'm 
I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying this morning, be careful what you are mourning and weeping over. Be careful for that which you are sorrowful of. For the day is coming when the ones that will be weeping are also the ones crying out for the rocks to fall on them at the brightness of the return of the Son of Man, the Son of God. Don't mourn the way the world mourns. Count it all joy. Look to heaven for you know the day of redemption draws near. Nearer than what it has ever been, your day, the day, draws near. For they will mourn the one whom they have pierced. They will mourn the one that they mocked and laughed at. They will mourn because they missed the day of their visitation. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. the laborers are few. Send, 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 says the Lord, send, go. Don't be silent in this hour. Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, I just continue to pray for our community. Lord, with this, we're gripped with fear. We're gripped, Father, with this spirit of the Antichrist, of fear that has just come upon us, and we just don't know where to turn. So we've been turning to things that are untrue. We've been turning to the things that are spoken to us by our governmental leaders and our political leaders who we should be able to trust. But, Father, I just pray for the remnant here that would know what it means to stand up righteously. To stand up righteously, not to be political zealots just for the fact of being a political zealot, but we would stand up for the things of God because it's your righteousness that's being challenged here. 
Your kingdom is being challenged here. It's the, it's the forces of the evil that have come against the spirit of Christ in the form of the Antichrist to replace you and bring fear into the lives of people. And I pray for all those that are just being funneled into that conditioning system, Lord, that we would be freed from that, that our minds would be opened and our eyes would see what really you would have in store for us. We know that this is a spiritual battle. We know that what the Word says. We know what the end times are, and we know that we're in the middle of them. So now, Father, I pray that you give us spiritual discernment and wisdom and how we live through this time, how we be victorious through this time, how we can be the, the source of hope and the source of victory to those that are being brought under the the condition of the worldly system that would want to just condition people to get ready to receive the mark of the beast and to get ready to receive the antichrist god help us to stand up and to know how to stand up in this time Lord, that we can take be the righteous few that can be the hope and, and salvation of this world that is spinning wildly out of control and father i pray that we find your heart in this that we find your direction in this that we're knowing what you would want us to do in this time. God, that we're focused on the eternal, not just how we make life better for our temporary time, but how that we can go to those that are inflicted with the COVID disease, a virus, God, and for every other sickness. <laughs> it's just not about this single virus. It's about every other sickness that prevails us, that brings fear into our lives. And the real sickness is fear. And I pray, God, that you would just free us. Show us what it is to be righteous. Show us what it is to be victorious on this day. And I thank you for this group of people here that are righteously on the right mark. We're following the right path. And I pray that you would strengthen us, protect us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Rip. Thank you, Jackie. Wonderful job. The Lord was in this place today. There was a crowd of angels in this place today. This place was packed out, just so you know. This place was packed out with worship. Amen. What a good day. So today is Palm Sunday, and it is the beginning of our Easter celebration, and it culminates our season of Christer. <laughs> because Christer is a time between Christmas and Easter. <laughs> and Christer is a time that we live in most of the time. And then we have Christmas, which begins Christer. And then we have Easter, which ends Christer. But the whole time of living is really a time of celebration. It's a time of understanding why we're here and what we're to be doing here. And that is the season of Christer. So now we are officially coming to the end of that until next Christmas. <laughs> anyway, that came from because I screwed up one day and I said Christer. I didn't know what else to say, so I made, I made the word up. So that's what it was. So anyway, so today is an exciting time to be celebrating Jesus as our Savior and our relationship with him. And it's a great day in the kingdom of heaven. But yet, but yet it came with great cost. And most people don't appreciate that. In fact, I would say that most of us can't appreciate really what it cost heaven that day to send Jesus at Christmas to be a baby, for him to leave heaven 
to walk this earth for 30-some years to die a horrific death. And it begins today on Palm Sunday. So today I want to take a, a serious look at our reason for the celebration. And I want to talk today about who was in the crowd that day when they celebrated Jesus to come in as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, people are funny. And people are very predictable at the same time. You know, when you get into a crowd of people, it's so interesting to look around and see who's in the crowd because there will be many in the crowd that have no idea why they're there. <laughs> no idea what they're supposed to be doing there. They're just part of a crowd. And the crowd is, is, is often dictated by the ones that cheer the loudest or the ones that protest the loudest because pr crowds can be crowds of cheering or crowds of protest. And many times the people in the middle of the crowd are oblivious to the real reason that they're there and what's the real purpose. And I will say that I think that on Palm Sunday, most people in the crowd had no idea why they were there. They were just there because they heard this Jewish prophet coming that had done miracles and done all kinds of great things, and he was coming in for Passover, and they had no idea what his purpose was. And that's why I've titled today's message, Who Was in the Crowd? Who was in the crowd that day? And what can we learn from those? You see, that day, Jesus came in, he began the Passover celebration by coming into town on a lowly donkey <laughs> some 2,000 years ago, on a donkey. Now, he was being heralded as the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the savior of, the, of Israel. And one would think that a king would be riding a white horse into his battleground, not a donkey. So for them, for the people of the day and the crowd, not to observe that fact, that why would they think that he should be on a donkey? Wouldn't that send some signals to some people that maybe they're not getting it? <laughs> because Jesus is riding a donkey? Isn't that something? We're going to learn some things from that. Jesus was being heralded the king of kings, but he certainly wasn't coming into Jerusalem that day the way a king would come in, at least not the king of this world. This is a season of great victory for us. And I think we have to acknowledge that and embrace that. But at the same time, it comes at a great cost for Jesus and for heaven. And it's so unfortunate that it had to be this way because it didn't have to be this way. I mean, when God creates things, he creates things perfectly. And when he created man and woman 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden, they were perfect and they had no reason to have, ever have a Passover celebration. God did not create them with the intention of having a Passover celebration ever. He created them to be perfect and to live perfect lives and to live eternally as they were created. And it's only because of their poor choices that we fall into the fate that we're in today. Thank the Lord, though, that God had a plan to redeem us because he didn't have to 
I mean, what would have stopped him at that time just to crumple them up like we would crumple up a piece of paper and throw it away and say, I'm going to start over? And we would have no, we would have no existence, first of all. And some might say that's okay not to have an existence, but here's my perspective of it. When God gives me an opportunity to spend eternity with him, <laughs> celebrating with him and watching him create forever and ever more and more things after that, that's pretty exciting. I'm glad he gave us that opportunity. I'm glad he's given us the chance to be with him. He didn't have to, but he did. And that's kind of what we're at today. That's where we're at. So we have a reason to rejoice and celebrate, but at the same time, we have to recognize the time of suffering and pain that it was for heaven, and sometimes that is hard for us to deal with. We have to be really honest with ourselves here because we don't often deal well with things that are painful to deal with. We don't deal well with things that require things of us. Now, it can sound maybe a little bit harsh to be saying things like this on a holiday weekend, on a weekend where the world celebrates the Palm Sunday season and Easter season. But we have to recognize that this is not a casual topic. This is not a casual holiday. We make it so because it makes it easy for us to deal with it. We have to recognize that Christ didn't suffer casually. His death on a cross was not casual nor comfortable. Yet, we in our human nature want to make it that way. We want to make it that way because it takes us off the hook so that we can be casual in our relationship with him. We don't want to be challenged in our concept of religion. We don't want to be challenged with our concept of what it really cost Christ to die. So we make it casual. And we make it an optional celebration. We want to read the easy scriptures that say we can simply believe in our hearts and speak a few words and be saved without having to make any further commitments. Thank the Lord that he did make it that way. He did make it that way, that we can simply believe in our hearts and speak the words and, and be saved. But there's more. There's more. And if we leave it at that simple phase, that simple step of just speaking the words and believing in our heart, we're ripe for deception. We're ripe for the enemy to come in and steal our salvation from us. That's why this is a complicated holiday. That's why Palm Sunday is a complicated season. Because it's simple, yet it's hard. It's easy, but it's difficult. It's free, but it will cost you everything that you have. It's a complicated process. You see, 
we have to think about what Jesus was thinking about that day. He believed completely with his heart that he was doing the right thing. He knew that. But if we skip ahead just a few days, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out to the Father, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, please take it away. I mean, he really meant that. Jesus was fully human. He knew what he was going to have to go through, and he didn't want to. We have to say it that way because that's the truth. He didn't want to have to be whipped and beaten and scorned the way he was with that crown of thorns crushed in his head, then to have nails driven through his wrist and his feet and hanging across, naked. Did you hear me? He was naked. It was embarrassing. It was the most humiliating death that we could ever think of. And he did it for you and I. But he asked God, God, Father, is there any other way? But what did he say? I think we too quickly read the next line where he says, but not my will, but thy will. I think we need to pause in that moment when he really said, Father, is there any other way? And then he said, no, if it's your will, I'll do it. I'm not going to be casual about it, Father. If that's what it requires, then I'm willing to do it. There's nothing casual about the life and death of Jesus Christ. Yet for many people, that is their version of Christianity, that it becomes so easy. And as soon as it becomes difficult, they're out. As soon as a challenge comes their way, they say, oh, this isn't for me. So can I be really honest with you today and say that I'm convicted in my own spirit of the times that I've been guilty of making it casual? I'm guilty. How do I know that I'm making it casual? When I make it easy and noncommittal, about my relationship with Jesus, when I don't spend time in prayer because I'm too casual, because I don't spend time reading the Word, I don't spend time studying the Word, I don't spend time meditating on the Word. Hear me. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not on the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's a committed believer. That's the man that's not taking his faith casually because he's meditating on the law of the Lord, which is the goodness of God. It's not the legalistic nature of God's word. It's the goodness of God, and it's the instruction of God, and, I, and he meditates it on it day and night. And that man is committed. He's in for the long haul, and he's not going to be shaken when life gets tough. That's the definition of not being casual about your salvation. So as we look at Palm Sunday today, I want to take the time to look at the people in the crowd. Who was in the crowd? And what can we learn from them? 
So let's read the account of Palm Sunday in Matthew. It's on the paper that you've been given. It's in your Bible, and it's going to be on the screen. So would you stand with me as we read God's word? And read along with me, if you will. Beginning at Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed them shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Verse 10, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this scripture. I thank you for this account of what happened that day. And I pray, Lord, that we would understand what you would have us understand in this, that we would grasp your nature, your words, and your purpose in our hearts and our lives today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So the story up to this point in time was building to the fact that people were getting restless and many were believing Jesus was to be the political savior that was going to save the Jewish people from the harsh Roman rule. And even though Jesus had performed many supernatural miracles, delivered demons out of people, had great teaching about spiritual lessons of heaven, talking about God as his father in heaven, most of the people still didn't get it. They didn't really understand who he was. As much as Jesus tried to teach them about the importance of spiritual life that he could bring them, most of the people couldn't get past the political situation that was happening around them. They forgot or maybe never understood the spiritual freedom that Jesus really represented. And that really what Jesus was trying to bring to them was spiritual freedom not just political freedom. Therefore, they thought and they expected Jesus to bring a revolution of the Roman rule that was surrounding them. What do you think Jesus was thinking? What do you think he was thinking as he was sitting on a donkey and they were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna! in the highest heaven, what do you think was going through Jesus' mind? Because nothing escaped Jesus. Do you know that? He was aware of the situation around him all the time. He could read minds. He often would read what was, know what the Pharisees were thinking before they even said it. He was aware of situations. The Holy Spirit was upon him 
And he was aware of things. Even in his humanity, he was aware of the situation. He, didn't walk in, he never walked into a situation where he didn't have a complete grasp of the room. <laughs> he knew exactly what was going on all the time. So what do you think he was thinking when the people were crying out for a Savior? Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, Jesus, save us now. Jesus knew the people were missing the point. They knew that they weren't understanding his true purpose in calling out him as king of the Jews. If we read in chapter Luke, in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42 of this account, this is as Jesus, as he was on the donkey, as he was approaching Jerusalem, as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. My Bible commentary says this, Jesus, knowing that the people and their leaders expect a political savior and will ultimately reject him as God's promised Messiah, weeps in pity for the people who will soon suffer terrible judgment. The word wept in Greek means more than shedding tears. It suggests deep sorrow, the heavy sobbing of a soul in agony. So the people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is sitting on a donkey saying, guys, if you only, if you only got it, you don't have a clue what you're saying. Jesus had some serious mixed emotions because he knew that his purpose there was to die. It wasn't going to turn out well for him. He wasn't going to leave the city alive, and he knew it. He tried to tell his disciples. He tried numerous times to tell his disciples that he would be falsely accused that he would be tried in a mock court, that he would be beaten severely and then later to be hanged on a cross. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, gives us this record of that. He says, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Verse 34. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. This is only one of a number of times that's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection. He predicted it. So without a doubt, Jesus fully knew his purpose for riding that donkey that day. He knew why he was there. He was coming as a sacrificial lamb, and no one but him understood it. He knew that most of the people in that crowd didn't have a clue of the situation. Can you see now a little bit better why this is a complicated day for Jesus? This is a complicated day. How to handle all those emotions. Hmm. So let's talk about the crowd. Who was in the crowd that day? I think it's important for us to get a glimpse 
of the types of people that were there that day in order that we might be able to see how they might impact us today. Because maybe we might associate with some of these people in the crowd. So let's look at the crowd. Who were they? There were disciples that followed Christ. There were Jewish zealots. There were doubters that had heard of Jesus from afar. There were casual observers, those that were on the edge of maybe believing in him. There were some that had never heard of him at all. And then there were the Jewish religious leaders. I want to talk about each group here briefly so we can learn maybe some key things from these people. Who were the Jewish zealots? The zealots were members of a first century political movement among the Judean Jews who sought to overthrow the occupying Roman government. Again, we have to understand the context of the day. This wasn't Israel, this wasn't Jerusalem, but Rome ruled, and they ruled with an iron fist. They made it very difficult for the Jewish people. They were under great bondage. Taxes were heavy. And quite often they were taxed by their own people. <laughs> there, there would be Jewish um, people that would be traitors, if you will. That was who Matthew was, if you want to know the truth. Matthew was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector that was working for the Roman government to tax the Jewish people. And the Jewish tax collectors were not looked upon very favorably because they wouldn't just take the tax evenly. They would overtax the people and they would skim off from the top. It was an evil brood of people. So these zealots here were trying to find ways to free themselves from Roman rule. And they saw Jesus as the ticket. He was the Donald Trump of the day, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he was the one that was going to save them. Hosanna, save us now, Jesus. Save us now in our moment of affliction. That's what they were crying out. These zealots were known to be violent at times. They were, some could be considered terrorists because they would do whatever they had to to destroy Rome. And Quite often, they would carry daggers, and they would kill people that got in their way. I mean, these were bad people. These were zealots. Do you know that Simon the Zealot was a disciple of Christ? One of his disciples was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. You don't think Jesus went around and just picked the good guys to be his 12, did you? He picked the people that were of questionable reputation. He picked the people that were the rough guys, but yet he changed them. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Every one of those guys, Simon the Zealot, Matthew the tax collector, they died for Jesus. The only, the only, well, we, the only disciple, the true disciple, we know Judas, who betrayed Jesus, hung himself after the fact, but the other 11, they all died for him besides John the Revelator who lived a natural death, lived a natural life until he died naturally at an old age after writing Revelation. All the other disciples died martyred deaths for Jesus. So Simon the Zealot 
was converted to die for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There's hope for us when I hear that. He can use anybody. If he can use them, he might be able to use me. Maybe even you. <laughs> so the zealots were there to set Jesus as their king. They wanted to use his miraculous powers to overthrow the Roman government. But as soon as they saw, hear me, as soon as they saw Jesus not to be who he said he was in their opinion, most of the zealots, just a few days later, were crying, crucify him. Crucify him. They were part of the, they went to the next crowd. When the crowd that Jesus came in the first time didn't do what they wanted to do to set them free politically, when they saw that Jesus was an imposter, in their opinion, a hoax, they then said, crucify him. Who are the zealots today? Are there zealots today in our time? Are there people that see Jesus with a what's-in-it-for-me attitude? Hmm, think about it. There may be people that are bound in sin or diseased like the Jewish people were bound under the Roman rule of the, Jewish, of the Roman Empire and the zealots were wanting Jesus to free them for that. There may be people today that are bound in their own diseases, their own afflictions, and want Jesus to bail them out today so that they can continue to live a normal life. And when it doesn't happen, they say, been there, done that. I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me, so I'm out. So I'm out. See, that is a today's zealot that is wanting Jesus to do something for them miraculously, not to set them free from their sin, but to set them free from their bondage so that they can continue to live the way they want to live. That's a, that's a modern-day zealot. And they're in the church, and they're in our community. Who are the doubters? These people may have heard about Jesus and still didn't believe that he was who he said he was. You see, you have to look at this a minute. They're kind of like the zealots, but they're not as violent. <laughs> I mean, again, look at the context. Up until this time, Jesus, when he wasn't on the scene, all the religious people had in Jerusalem was the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. And these religious leaders had a strong influence on the people. And what the Jewish religious leaders said was truth to the people because they didn't know any better. And so when the religious leaders questioned Jesus' authority, it carried a lot of weight with the people. Understand what's happening here. We have to put ourselves in their context, not in the 2020 version looking backwards that we see the problems. Look at it was how they were living. So when the Jewish leaders went to Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23, where Jesus entered the temple court, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked, and who gave you this authority? You see, the, the Jewish religious leaders had their reason for saying it, but for the common folk... They were saying, yeah, Jesus, who are you? They didn't know any different. Put yourself in that situation. You grew up all your life learning and believing the rabbis. 
And now you get this radical rabbi coming in and upsetting the apple carts, and you're thinking, well, who is that guy when my, my old, my pastor, <laughs> my religious leader who I've grown up with says this, why should I believe that guy when my religious leader who I've had no reason not to doubt in the past is having a problem with this radical guy over here? See how easy it is to be a doubter? There were a lot of doubters in the crowd that day. They didn't know any better. But yet they got caught up in the hubbub of it all. Look around us for our, a quick moment in our life today. Who are the doubters in our life? And I would just go back, and you know, the, the closest thing I can relate to this is being a, a, an American, a patriotic American, I've always believed in my government. I've always believed they would tell me the truth. I had no reason ever to doubt them, really. Now, I, I'm, that's a little bit naive. I get that. But in general, overall, our government was righteous. I mean, we were established on righteousness years and years and years ago. It really shakes our foundation when our leaders do or don't do the things we expect them to do. And it shook the foundation of the normal Jewish man and woman. Their foundational core was shooken by Jesus. He was a revolutionary. They didn't know what to think because they were following the Jewish leaders. So we can at least give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? Let's not be too critical because we weren't in their shoes. Okay, who were the casual observers? The casual observers were the people that may have heard of Jesus or even seen some of his miracles and heard some of his teaching but weren't really convinced yet of who he was. They were on the verge, on the edge of being a convert. They weren't doubters, but they weren't committed followers either. They were just common, ordinary folk that were interested but yet not fully convinced, and they were easily swayed by whatever the crowd was saying in the moment. You see, crowds are filled with these kind of people, easily swayed by popular opinion. They also probably were in that crowd a few days later that cried, crucify him. Some of the casual believers, some of the common folk, people today, we would call them chameleons. We would call casual observers to be the ones that can fit in everywhere and every place. They don't know what it means to take a stand for anything. They go with popular flow. They go with the popular opinion. They don't want to be troublemakers. They don't want to stand out from the crowd, so they compromise with what the, the going fad is. They compromise with what's happening in the religious circles. They compromise their convictions to, to fit in with the crowds because they don't want to stand out. Dare I say that this is the largest population in America's churches today? Can I be so bold to say that? That most of the churches today are made up of casual observers? Lukewarm. These are the people who, who will be most surprised at the rapture. 
There will be many casual observers that have sat in church pews all their life that will be left there, and they won't have heard the sound of the trumpet, and there will be people all around them that will be taken away, clothes left on the chairs, and they're going to be sitting there thinking, what happened? Because they're casual observers. They're not committed to what it means to be a Christian. Now, I know this isn't a popular thing to say, especially on a holiday, (laughs) because we all want to think we're okay. No one wants to admit anything different than themselves. I get that. I totally do. But we have to read Scripture. Matthew. That's me doing that. I'm sorry. I I hit the wrong button. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23 through 23 says this. This is a tough scripture. This is one that makes me sit up and look at myself closely. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you, you who break God's laws. Casual observers. Who were those that were never heard that never heard of him at all? Now it may be hard to think that. That there were people that were in that day that had never heard of Jesus. But yet it's not so difficult to think of that. I mean, because you've got to remember communications back in the day weren't that good. They didn't have text messages. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have, you know, social media. So a lot of people came into Jerusalem that day and had no idea who Jesus was. But they got caught up in the crowd as well because they were interested in all the hubbub. What was going on? What was the stir about? You know, today there are still people that don't know who Jesus is. Now, it's hard to believe that in America that that's the truth. But there are some really ignorant people here that have never sat in a church They may know how to use his name in vain. They may know how to swear by his name. But they don't really know the gospel message. So what does that mean for us? It means we have a job to do. It means we have a responsibility to those people. That we go into the highways and the byways and we are called to tell them. That's our job. We don't criticize these people. We don't judge them. Rather, we have mercy. We have compassion on them. They were there. Who were the Jewish religious leaders? Who were the Jewish religious leaders? Well, these men were learned in scriptures. They had all the prophecies of the Old Testament detailing out the coming of the Messiah, and they intentionally chose not to believe them. These men have no excuse. They were learned in the Old Testament. They had read every prophecy How can you read Isaiah? How can you read Jeremiah? How can you read some of these prophecies where it so clearly details the life, the birth where Jesus was born, how he lived, how he was was to die? Everything about him was so clearly defined in Old Testament scriptures, but the Jewish leaders who knew that chose not to believe that. Why? Why? Why were they unbelievers? Well, Because they had a system. They had a religious system that they were very comfortable in. They were in control. They had people serve them. 
They had people respect them. They had great high places of leadership. And they didn't want their boat to be rocked. We know they were there in the crowds because they spoke to Jesus. Luke chapter 19, verse 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Why, if Jesus was really the Son of God, did not the religious leaders believe him? What was their motivation? Why wouldn't they believe? Because Jesus represented humility and servitude as a way of leadership. And that's not the way the man-made religion was of the day. Because those that led were served. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees liked it. They liked their position of power. They liked their position of being respected. They liked their situation of being served by the masses. And they didn't want their system to be rocked in any way, shape, or form. So for them to follow Jesus would have meant a totally different lifestyle and a totally different type of leadership. And they weren't willing to give it up. These were the ones that were leading the crowd a few days later, crying out for Jesus to be crucified. They were actually the ones that paid money for people to cry out against Jesus. They were that intent on killing him that they invested money to get people to cry out against Jesus. Can you just see the influence of Satan here in the form of religion? In the form of religion, Satan thrives. We've been talking about the spirit of the Antichrist lately. And it was just as prevalent then as it is today. Remember, the spirit of Antichrist is not denying Christ. It's replacing Christ. Satan wanted to be in the place of Christ. And he still does want to be in the place of Christ. That's why he's so intent on tempting us to worship him rather than worshiping Christ. Because he wants to be that in our lives. And that was the underlying spirit of the Jewish religion and the Jewish leaders of that day, the, the religious leaders of their day, that they wanted all people to respect them and worship them over Jesus. So finally, let's talk about the disciples that were in the crowd today. Let's get to some good news. There were some disciples in the crowd. There were some. And who are these people? This was a small group of true believers that day. And here's some really interesting things to think about. Even if they didn't really understand everything that was about to happen to Jesus, they were still fully committed to him. What I like about this group of people is that they believed in Jesus. They saw his miracles, they heard his teachings, and they were convinced that he was who he said he was. 
No matter what was, no matter what was around them, they were convinced. They knew that Jesus was the Son of God. Even when they didn't understand everything that was going on that day. This isn't a key point. Listen, this is so important. They didn't understand what was going on that day. And there would be confusion among them. They would see Jesus to be falsely accused. They would see him tried in a mock court. You think fake news is new? No, it's not new. <laughs> it's been around since Jesus' day. They saw him convicted for crimes he didn't commit. They saw him beaten and whipped mercilessly. And they saw him hanging a cross. But the true believer, listen, the true believer didn't allow that to sway their, their conviction on who Jesus was. No matter what the public pressure of them around them was that day, they didn't listen to their religious leaders that were telling them that Jesus was a hoax. They weren't swayed by the zealots' determination to make Jesus their physical king. The doubters and the casual believers didn't diminish their commitment to stand for Christ. They were not in that group a few days later crying out, crucify him. They were not there. They were there weeping for Christ, but they were not saying crucify him. It didn't make any difference to them what others were thinking because they knew they were there for the right reason. That's who we need to be. That's where we need to stand. That's the position that we as a small, the remnant that Jesus is coming back for, that's what he's looking for in the church. Those that are not confused by all the stuff that's going on around us. Those that understand all the turmoil that's happening around us in this world is all by design and Jesus is still in control and he is still our king and we're going to follow him no matter what. We're not going to be shaken by public opinion. We're not going to be shaken by what the economy says. We're not going to be shaken by a silly virus. We're not going to be shaken by any mandates the government puts on us because we know that we serve the risen Christ. Amen. That gives us great peace. That gives us great authority in a day of darkness. And that's who we are. Even when bad things happen. Listen, I know things happen to us. I know that we get sick. When people die, we have relationship issues. I know that. It's okay. They were afraid that day. You've got to remember, these people were afraid. They saw their leader be totally abused. They were confused. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die in such a wickedly painful way. They didn't understand it. Don't you think that shook their world a little bit? Why do we think we have it so rough today? Think about it. Yeah, we had a lot of things shaking us too. But we're not the first one to be shaken, folks. We're not the first one to have to go through hard times. They survived. Not, did they, not only did they survive, they thrived. When the church came under great persecution, the church thrived. We're going to thrive, folks. We're going to win. 
we're not the losing side here. <laughs> we're the winning side. Even though our numbers may be low at times, we don't know what's going on around us, we have confidence. We know who we trust in. We know who we believe in. And we know he wins. Therefore, we win. Jackie, would you come and help us close? So today, the question I have for us is where are we in the context of Palm Sunday worshipers? Where do we fit? Who do we relate with in the crowd? Are we the doubters? Are we the casual believers? Are we the zealots? We can't say we didn't know. We can't go into that category because we've known. <laughs> so we can't say, I've never heard this before because we all have. <laughs> Are we the religious leaders? You see what's good about this is that no matter what you were before you walked into the service, you can be different when you walk out. You may be watching online today. And you may be looking at this and thinking, ah, I'm one of the ones that Jesus wouldn't be appro approve of. That's okay. Admit it. Admit yourself who you are. Here's the most important question. Who is Jesus to you? <laughs> Who's Jesus? See, how you answer that question will determine your eternity. There's going to be nothing that matters more at the end of your life when you take your last breath if someone would say, why should God let you into heaven? The only answer is because of Jesus. Because he died for me. And I accepted his sacrifice. And he, was, and he became my savior. And then I purposely, intentionally, deliberately, on purpose, with all my heart, made him my Lord. Lord, forgive us of our casual nature. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we just look at this time and look at it to be so easy and so light and so frivolous, frivolous. But God, help us to understand what it cost you. Help us to think what you thought. Help us to know what you knew. God, give us the fervency of commitment no matter what questions would come our way that we would never, ever doubt you, that we would never, ever fall into the, the camp of being casual in our faith, that we would stand for you no matter what, that we would stand in front of our friends for you, in front of our family for you, 
that we would die for you. This morning, this is a great time just to evaluate your heart. This is a great time to answer the question, who is Jesus to me? Who is he? If you can say and really mean that he is your savior, you have eternity of blessings and great reward. But if you don't know that for sure, you can by simply asking Jesus to forgive. And then being willing to commit everything that you have to live for him. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today. Don't put it off. No matter where you're at, sitting here, sitting at home, wherever you're at, this is the day of salvation. Accept Jesus and ask him to change you. Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name. Lord, would you forgive me? Maybe you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong. I've tried to do it my own way. I thought I could conquer my life's problems my own way, and I know that I can't. My only, my only hope, my only salvation is you. So forgive me. Come into my heart today. Come into my life and change me. And give me the service of commitment to you today. I pledge my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jackie, would you lead us in that song you're playing, please? Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus and
Father, you are the center of our hearts and lives today. We thank you so much for what you mean. Lord, I thank you that we've heard now the story. And now I pray that we put it into our life and we make it our story that we are the committed believer in that crowd today and that we are committed to you and our lives may be changed today. Maybe we're different people now than we were an hour ago. And I pray, Father, that we're, that we're pleasing in your sight. And I pray, Father, that we would just walk in authority now in authority knowing that we are in charge because you're in our hearts and our lives and we just give you this and we thank you in Jesus name amen you may be blessed great day today be blessed amen